name is Derek, one of the pastors. Now, my first question is, when we sing, clap your hands and stomp your feet, how do we stomp our feet? No, I'm serious. Like, because I want to do what the song said. What? Like that? Uh, I don't know. But I'm up here. I'm like, how do I? I, I want to stomp my feet. That song was awesome. Thank you for, thank you for leading in, in that worship. Um, grab your Bible, please. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 1, which is page number 1084. Um, or grab your phone or whatever device you have and look up the Bible there, Philippians chapter 1. Um, and I do encourage you to do that because what if I'm wrong and I miss something? You were looking at the real authority, which is scripture, not me. So you've probably heard of Alexander the Great. Uh, he was a great conqueror. Was he a great man? Don't know. But he was a, he was a great conqueror. And the story is told uh, of them being out on the battlefield, right, doing their thing, conquering. Um, and they had somebody in their army desert. And so, you know, desert, that's a big deal. They grab him. They bring this young man before Alexander. They said, what's, what's going on, whatever. This is a deserter. What do you want to do with him? He said, young man, what's your name? I said, my name's Alexander. He's like, really? He said, yeah, my mom named me after you. I said, really? He said, well, then change your name or change your conduct. I'm like, ooh, that's, that's really good. Here's my question. Is your life worthy of the name of Christ? Do you live in a way worthy of the name of Jesus Christ? The, word, the name Christian uh, was first derogatory, right? It, with the first believers, and it was in, uh, in Athens, I believe, was the first place. Um, that might be incorrect. Anyway, <laughs> it, the Christians were being, they were, it was called the way first. They were followers of Jesus, and people were like, oh, you guys follow Christ. You are those Christians. You're Christians, and they're like, yeah, we are. We're Christian, right? So they, they took that name as, as a badge. Yes, we are. Now, I'll be honest, the, the name Christian today doesn't mean what, what it used to be. Um, Christian is, is now kind of a broad label for all kinds of religions, many that aren't true biblical faith. So many claim the name of Christian who, who won't be in heaven, who don't follow Jesus Christ, who don't believe accurately what the Bible says. And so I actually try and avoid the name Christian or, or the word a lot because it seems confusing. You know, I talk about being a Jesus follower probably more than I talk about being a Christian. But today for this, we're going to use the, the label Christian as the Bible defines it, right? Christian, somebody who believes Jesus truly walked this earth, truly is the son of God, God in flesh, died on the cross, actually, rose from the dead, actually, and salvation is found in him alone, that his death was good enough for all of our sins, that our problem is sin. Jesus died for our sin and rose from the dead. By faith in him, we have life, we have salvation. That's who we're talking about. So is your life, is the way you live worthy of the name of Jesus Christ? We're going to be in just three verses today, Philippians 1, 27 to 30. Let's read these. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. 
So remember, this is a, a letter, and Paul has transitioned from the here's the things about me to now let's talk about you. Again, letters in that day, kind of like in ours before email came along, had a pattern. And so the pattern is now let's talk about you. And he begins right there in verse 27. Now, this verse sets up the context of a lot of what's to come because this is a transition point in the letter, and he's going to be kind of referring back to this. So we as weeks go on, we'll probably refer back to this verse because in 27 he says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let your manner of life. That is a good translation. And I want to encourage you, we can trust our English translation. The Bible was not written in English, obviously. It was written primarily the New Testament in Greek. So what we have is translations into English. Now, we have many ancient manuscripts, ancient Greek manuscripts, and so we can trust what we have written, but sometimes there's something missing. This word here, what, what we have here only, let your manner of life, that's one word in the Greek, and it's only used one other time in all scripture, and it means specifically live as a citizen. So that word means live as a citizen, and so it's a good translation, let your life be worthy of Christ. But what he's very literally saying is live as a citizen of God's kingdom. Live as a, you're, you're a citizen of what God owns, his kingdom, right? The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. You can say it different ways, but live as a citizen of his kingdom over against your earthly citizenship. So remember, Philippi is a Roman city and they were proud of that. They were on, you know, every road leads to Rome. They would say, well, one of those main roads going to Rome, Philippi was on that road. It was a Roman city, and people were proud of being Roman. If you were actually a Roman citizen, you had status. You had uh, privileges. Uh, Paul, if you remember, when he first went to Philippi, he was arrested. He was put in, in he was beaten, put in prison or in the jails, right, put in the stocks, not comfortable. Uh, you know, God got him out of that. But the next day, right, the, the leaders of the town, the magistrates say, hey, send the police, go let him go. The police come, and they're like, hey, you guys can go. And Paul says, no, we're not leaving. You send the magistrates over here because we're Roman citizens, and what you did to us was unlawful. Well, they go back to the magistrates, and they're like, did you know they were Roman citizens? Oh, no. <laughs> no, we didn't. So they come back, and we're like, oh, we're so sorry. You know, they had certain rights. As Roman citizens, they had a right to a trial. They had certain rights that others didn't have. So Paul here is making reference to that idea because these Philippians would, we are Roman citizens. He's saying, no, first, you are citizens of heaven. Yeah, you're still Roman citizens, but first, you're citizens of heaven. Jesus' followers are all citizens of an eternal kingdom which takes priority. That's, again, that's all included in this one word <laughs> that is accurately translated, let your life be worthy of Christ. But you get where they would hear that, like, oh, you're telling, okay, you're telling us over against. And so for us, again, we're not Romans, but we're Americans. We're American citizens. He's saying the same to us. Yes, you're American citizens, but first, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a citizen of heaven. Colossians 1, 13 says this. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the for forgiveness of sins transferred us past tense that happens at the moment of salvation when you place your faith in jesus as lord he rescues us he saves us and he transfers us spiritually from this kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of, of light the heavenly kingdom philippians 3 20 this will come later in the same book but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior 
the Lord Jesus Christ. So we are citizens, if we are followers of Jesus now, he's breaking down this, this idea of secular versus sacred. A lot of us probably have wrestled with this, right? I am the church, right? The church is the house of God. Don't say bad words in here, right? Uh, don't, don't drink in here. But out there, do whatever you want, right? There's the sacred here or when we're in our Bible, and then there's the secular out there, the music we listen to, the things we do, the places we go, the way we speak, all those things. Being a citizen of heaven, he's saying walk worthy all the time, right? Meaning there is no distinction between secular and sacred. I'm not a Jesus follower here and I need to look good and then over here I do whatever I want. He said, no, be consistent with who you claim to be. Walk worthy as a citizen. And we're not talking about religion here. What I mean by that, we're not talking about duty. Like, you go be good. You know, I, I, maybe you grew up that way or some, or, or some of us grew up in a church like that. Don't drink, right? Don't smoke, don't dance, don't go with girls that do. And that's a lot of the, I mean, that's the, the religion of don'ts. That's not what he means, right? A good example comes my own life. When I was born, I was born, my intestines were in a knot. I had a blockage. Um, and this was 1979, so it was a long time ago, in Colorado, and they didn't exactly know what to do about it. So they cut me open, found that spot, cut it out, and tried to put it back together, and it didn't work. So they tried it again, and it didn't work. So they tried it again, and here I am, right? It worked. But it was a big deal. I, I, I mean, I was in the hospital, I think, for three months. Uh, the only way my parents could hold me was in, like, an incubator with gloves on uh, for a few months, right? So that's why I'm kind of detached, maybe. <laughs> I'm not sure. But, but it was, I mean, it was clearly a big deal. You, you know, my dad talks about that's the first time I've ever actually gotten weak in the knees. <laughs> it was when some, oh, um, but it was a big deal. And so the church came around. They had an auction. They all brought their stuff to help pay those medical bills. But here's my point. My, my great-grandmother, who we called Nanny, Nanny would tell me, and I, I don't remember how many times she told me, but I remember it, and it stuck with me. She said, God saved you for a reason. And it, she would say that, like, God has a purpose for you. Now, I think we can all say that. But, but I, I took that to heart. She said, God saved you. Like, you should have died there, but you didn't. God saved you for a reason. But then add to it, he saved my, my soul. Like, Christ died on the cross, chose me to be in his family, not for no reason, for, for a reason. And that stuck with me. And so this idea of walking worthy, her words at times would come to mind when I was tempted by something. Sometimes, like, I'd even start walking toward whatever it was and that, were, you were saved for a reason. Oh, it, right? Like, okay, I belong to Christ, and, and so I need to go this way. He has something he wants to do, and if I go this way, I might hinder what he wants to do, and it didn't always work. I mean, I wasn't like the perfect kid that always, I made big mistakes, but a lot of times that idea right there helped guide me in the right direction. And that's what he's saying. And I think for us, right, you were saved for a reason. Walk worthy. You've been adopted. You've been saved. And so again, it's not this religion of don'ts, but it's I belong to him. I owe him every, and I love him. So I want to go this way. So that's what we're talking about here. Walk worthy, not because you have to, not to earn it, but as a response. So now he's going to go through some examples. All right, how do we walk worthy? Look back at verse 27. It says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. He's talking about uh, their reputation. You know, churches have reputations, right? If they're around for very long, and it might be the reputation of, of legalism. 
Uh, it might be the reputation of, of service, uh, of, of going into the community. And that's what he's talking about. I want to hear from you. I want, the, I want rumors to spread that you're standing firm together, that you're walking worthy together in one spirit. He's not saying think exactly the same way, right? The, the idea of one mind doesn't mean we all have to say the same thing. But it is saying we are united and committed to each other. So a Christian who is walking worthy will be united in one spirit with believers in a local congregation. So th this idea of being kind of united, it does exist broad, like, like church giant C. Every believer everywhere of all time, we have a unity all together. But here he's talking to this church. I want to hear of you, you group, that you're committed to one another and you're standing firm together. Now, again, the, the church, I'd say common ground, any church, we're not just a social club, right? We don't get together because we like each other. Hopefully we do. But, but it's first founded on the truth of who God is. Because you see here in this verse, um, again, standing together, uh, so uh, you are standing firm in one spirit, one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. There's some truth claims there. Right? We are united first by the truth claims of Jesus, right? that he lived, died, rose from the dead, all that we already said, that we stand on that, that unites us first. So somebody that claims the name of Christian but doesn't believe those things, we don't have that unity of, of spirit. We believe the foundations are, are different, are incorrect. And so it, it begins with that, but then it moves on also more to committed to one another, which means we know each other. Right? We're, we're there for each other, and I love this part, striving. Striving for the sake of the gospel, meaning our mission. I really like that Ben, uh, he quoted our mission statement from memory. Good job, Ben. Uh, but we have a mission, right? And it's the greatest mission that exists in all the world, to help people come to faith in Jesus Christ, to find life. That's our mission, and so we're striving together. Here's the point I want to make first. Looking at this, this can't happen when we come to church for one hour, twice a month. That doesn't, now, we should do this. We should get together. We should worship. We're meant to worship. But we're also meant to actually know each other and strive for the sake of the gospel together. When we're going through things in life, we support each other, right? When you hurt, I hurt, right? When you rejoice, we rejoice. These things together. When you're going through something, the, the family comes around. That's what he means here. That's what he's talking about. And because we are all citizens of God's kingdom, we share a unique bond, commitment, and mission. A unique bond, commitment, and mission. I was blessed as a, a young man to be in a place where I had a lot of friends that in church uh, from Africa, Germany, Russia, Canada, Great Britain, I, multinationalities, all, all these people, right? I had more in common with them, even when we had a big language barrier, than with Americans who are not Jesus followers. American, right, we share a lot of things as Americans. But I had more, I mean, my heart was knit to the Africans, Russians, go down the list, who were followers of Jesus. Because immediately we have this kind of shoulder to shoulder. We're going in the same direction. We want the same things. God's glory, right? His mission. And that's what he's talking about here, this, this bond we have together. But now, because we are citizens of a new kingdom, against citizens of heaven, uh, the kingdom of God, you can say it in different ways. Because of that, what do we do with our earthly citizenship? There's a couple options, right? 
we could separate. Uh, we could go build like a convent or, you know, or a commune and, and build a wall and keep the rest of the world out, and some Christians have done that. Um, how are we supposed to engage as citizens of earth? Because these Philippians, they didn't stop being citizens of Rome or an earthly city. We don't stop being citizens of the United States. So how do we do this? And, and here's the rub. I'll be honest. This is the rub when it comes to our Christian life. How do we engage as Americans with, with culture and society, but while first being citizens of heaven? Because as Americans, there are some things unique about us. We, we love our rights. I don't know if you knew that about us. We love our rights. The Romans were similar. Um, and, and remember Paul, as a Roman citizen, he had the right not to be beaten. He had the right not to. He didn't, he didn't exercise that right. He went through what he went through, and he didn't have to. I, I, for me, that's a big one as we look at we American and American Christians, oh, I have the right to this. You do, but first you're a citizen of heaven. And so should we engage those rights? Sometimes we absolutely should. But are we going to walk worthy with whatever that is? 1 Peter 2, 11 to 12, Peter is addressing the same idea, and he says this. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. What's Peter saying? He said, we are, we are sojourners and exiles, meaning we are citizens of heaven, and we're just here for a little while, right? We're passing through. Are we singing that song later? You guys sing that, the bluegrass. I'll fly away. That's the one. Are we singing that one? Oh, we already sang it. Right, I'm sorry. That's a great one. I'm glad you chose that one for today. But, but that, I'll fly away, right? We are here for just a little while. But he's saying, keep your conduct among the Gentiles. The Gentiles, Old Testament, is anybody who's not a Jew. The New Testament, they started using that for anybody who's not a follower of Jesus, an unbeliever. We are surrounded by them in society. He says, among them, meaning we remain among them. And keep your conduct among the non-believers so good that when they come against you and you respond so well, maybe they will glorify God when he comes back. Maybe they will have a chance to go, you're different. What, what is it? So when Christ returns, they will be part of the family as well. So we are, again, eternal citizens of, of God's kingdom visiting here. A Christian walking worthy will not hide from the, the world, but will engage the society, society in a God-honoring way. That's hard. It, uh, it, it is. How do we engage society and culture in a way that honors God? right? They will oppose us because one of the things that's going to happen is when we walk godly and open and bold, the society, those in the culture will come against us. They will oppose us. They don't like being told they're wrong. I mean, do you? People don't like being told they're sinners, or, right? Or, or this, I, the way they want to live, that's not according to God or the way they believe. No, that's not accurate. There's actually one God. People don't like being told that they're wrong. I don't like being told that I'm wrong. But when we reject aspects of society, they will come against us. These, these Roman citizens in, in Philippi, right, they were first pagans. Before they came to faith in Jesus Christ, they were part of the culture. And there, again, Roman culture, many gods, right? Uh, there's, you see Paul, 
heard of Mars Hill. Paul went to Mars Hill, uh, this place where all these idols are set up to all these gods. And that's where all the smart people would come together and talk about ideas. And he comes up there and he's like, hey, I'm going to tell you about that one. Because there's this one idol to an unknown god. Because they all thought, like, we have all these gods and there's a lot of gods we don't even know about. So Paul's like, I'm going to tell you about that one you don't know about. By the way, he's the only one. <laughs> right? All these, and they didn't like that. So, again, many gods, which feels good, right? There's in many ways to heaven, many ways to salvation. That feels really tolerant and nice and loving, right? Or, or, or the idea, again, in Philippi, they, part of their worship, emperor worship, they would bow to the emperor. Christians couldn't do that. And so, right, everybody else is doing this, and the Christians aren't. They're like, what, you're not part of us? You don't approve of what we're doing? Uh, sexual immorality was rampant. It was part of their pagan worship. Well, the Christians now, and you see in 1 Corinthians, Paul giving a lot of these instructions, you used to live that way. You used to be sexually immoral, and goes, he goes through lists of it. You used, but that's not you anymore, right? Oh, wait a minute, you used to engage in these things. I don't anymore, right? Infanticide. Today we talk about abortion. They had it then, right? When a baby was born, they didn't want it. It was deformed, whatever, go down the list. They would take that baby and just go set it in the woods. They'd let the animals get it. or they'd let, I mean, that was a normal part of society. Well, the Christians, when they got saved, they went, I think there's something wrong with that. And they would go get those babies, and then they would raise them. The culture didn't like that. Like, no, 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 I intended that baby to die, and now you're taking it and trying to raise it. You're stepping on our toes. The point here, when we live godly, we will be opposed. When we live well as citizens of heaven, we will reject aspects of the society we live in, creating opposition. Creating opposition. As Americans, traditionally, we'd say we haven't had to deal with that around the world. Obviously, they've had to deal with it, but it is getting worse, right? You have cake bakers, uh, internet designers, all these things being taken to court because they stand on their Christian convictions and say, I can't support this lifestyle. I, I can't vocally say this is okay, and people are being taken to court. It's going to happen more and more and more. You know, I talk to my kids. I try and prepare them. I think it's going to happen in their lifetime, or if not theirs, my grandkids' lifetime, where it's going to be more illegal to do the things that we're doing, to stand on that, right? Thought police. Now, read 1984 and some of those other things. We're getting there. If you don't think the way we want you to think, it's going to become illegal. And that sounds conspiracy theory, whatever. That's going to come someday. That was then. I mean, that's part of culture. Are we ready? It will create opposition. So how do we do this? Well, he says, walk worthy. I want to flip real quick. I'm just going to read it to you. This this isn't going to be on the screen, but Romans 12, 1 and 2, we get some really good instructions. How do we live as citizens of heaven while being citizens of the United States? It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern the will, what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. He says, do not be conformed. The world will try and conform us. Do not be conformed, but be transformed, meaning we are going to be in a process of being transformed, changed, right? As we go to scripture, as the Holy Spirit works on us, as we engage in the Christian community, oh, there's gonna be things where it's like, we hear we're wrong. Oh, and we have humility. Okay, I, I agree with God. My thinking, my actions, whatever is wrong, and I'm being transformed and changed. And again, Paul's point here is as we're doing this, as we're striving back to Philippians, side by side for the faith of the gospel, we will be opposed for it. So what does he say? Verse 28. 
And do not be frightened, or not frightened, in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. A faithful Jesus follower will not be afraid of opposition. Now, let's be honest real quick. As I read that, it's like, will not be afraid. I know things that have happened in Afghanistan in the last year, right? Things that happen in North Korea. Around the world, Christians suffer, rape, killed for their faith. In fact, the last 100 years, more Christians have been killed for their faith than the 1900 years before. I don't know if you knew that. Christians are being killed around the world for their faith. He's saying, don't be afraid. I think it's okay to feel fear. <laughs> when those things happen, I think there's, there's emotions of, of fear, of worry that's there. He's saying, go, go beyond that. When the opposition comes, do not fear, meaning be bold. Do not back down. Stand. Be ready. Know what's going to happen. Because when a believer is faithful during persecution, two things can be known. First, it is a sign of the persecutor's eternal destruction. You see that in verse 28. Now, as we understand this in context, it's like, wait a minute, is it a sign to the persecutor, the person opposing the Christians, like that they're going to know? No, probably not. It's a sign to the believer. This person is coming against me, against us. It's a sign they will be eternally judged. There's a tension here because I don't think we as Christians with the heart of Christ want anybody to go to hell. We don't want that. In fact, Jesus said, I desire none to be lost, but for all to come to repentance. But yet, don't we have a sense of justice? There is a desire for justice. When somebody is abused or hurt, whatever it is, there is a sense of justice. And in the book of Revelation, you see martyrs, followers of Jesus killed for their faith, and they're crying out in heaven saying, God, when will this end? When will you judge? So there's an aspect of judgment, and here we trust God with that. That's the point. We trust God with whatever he's going to do with that. 1 Corinthians 3.17 it says, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. When you're opposed, you can trust God is going to judge. You don't have to stand up for your rights necessarily. You don't have to get them back. God's got it. That's the first sign. That one's not super exciting. But there's a second sign. It's a sign of our own eternal salvation. Flip down to, to verse 29 real quick. Let's look at that. Verse 29 it says for you, to you, for it has been granted to you, that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. It has been granted to you to believe, first of all, your, your salvation is a gift. That's what he said. It's been granted to you to believe. He didn't choose you because you're smart. You didn't find Christ because you're smarter than everybody else. It's been granted to you to believe. It's a free gift. You didn't earn it. And it's been granted to you to suffer. The sermon is titled, right, The Gift of Suffering. Nobody is crazy about that. I'm surprised you guys are even here. Um, the gift of suffering. Why might suffering be a gift? Because right there, when we suffer well, it is a sign to us of our own salvation. Did you know that in every group of believers, there are those who think they are followers of Jesus but aren't? There are those who, who we might call imposters, but, but honestly, they don't even know it. Uh, in Matthew we see Jesus telling a, a parable, and he's speaking of what's going to happen. He says, in that day, there's going to be some that stand before me in judgment. They say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do these things in your name? And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. That's a little scary, right? In the parable of the soils, 
He talks about four different soils, meaning four different hearts that respond to the gospel, the good news of Jesus. One of those is called shallow soil. And it hears this good news that we've shared and goes, that sounds awesome. I can be saved for free, not by my works, by which I want in, I'm in, and they jump in. But then when they get opposed, right, they go through trials, hard times because of their faith or, or they persecution, they're like, oh, this isn't what I signed up for. And they walk away. Not true salvation. They, th- they look good for a while, but again, when opposition comes, they walk away. Here's, here's a heart check. There's two things that false believers rarely do. One is give. The second is suffer for their faith. Those who don't really follow Jesus in their heart, they rarely give. And when opposition comes, they're going to they're gonna fold frequently, right? They're not going to take that opposition, whether it's at school, at work, or wherever it is. It's not worth it. My reputation is more important than that. In the early church, uh, when the, the Roman persecution, there's different times where the persecution was really heavy, and a lot of Christians were killed for their faith. Uh, and there was those who were followers of Jesus, and, and they would come before and like, all right, deny Jesus or die. They're like, no, I deny Jesus, right? They rejected, and, and after the persecution ended, some of these would come back. They're like, we want back in the church. It was a dilemma. The church was like, what, what do we do? We believe what the Bible says. You didn't stand. You ran. You weren't bold. You caved. What do we do? Do we let them back in the church? Do they need to be rebaptized? What is it? And that's an honest dilemma as we wrestle because what he's saying here is Christians, though it's a it's a proof to you. So here's why it's a good thing, here's why it's a gift. When you go through suffering and you go through it well, it's a sign to you, I belong to him. Right? I truly do have that Holy Spirit. Back in, in Philippians 1, we saw the idea of being sincere, sun tested. Right, that we will go through tests to prove ourselves sincere. It's the idea of this pot, right? And a pot that you hold up to the light, because again, they didn't have you know buckets like we have or, or plastic bags. They carried everything in pots. But if you break a pot, you can put it together with wax, with a, with a paraffin, and it looks pretty good. But if you hold that pot up to the sun, you can see those cracks. This is not sincere. It's not sun-tested. Right here, this is talking about those opportunities we have to have opposition and to walk through it with boldness, we can walk through the other side with joy. Oh, we did it, right? It's, that's a gift. God, you helped prove to me my faith is real. You really have saved me. I really do belong to you. It's a, a sign of our eternal salvation. And this is a gift. Now, he ends verse 30. He says, you're suffering for his sake, right? Uh, that's end of verse 29. Uh, God gets the glory when we suffer well. I mean, that's part of the, the benefit, right? It points to him. Because you, in verse 30, you're engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Paul had this conflict everywhere he went. He had it in Philippi. They watched it. They were saved, right? Now he's in Rome going through the same thing. They're going through it. It's a pretty consistent conflict throughout all of history. D- despite the culture, Rome, um, United States, North Korea, I mean, go down the list. The, the opposition is fairly consistent. That if, if a believer, if somebody's going to truly follow Jesus, believe what he says, and live differently, we will be opposed. This is your last note in there. They were standing on the truth that there was only one God who offers salvation through his son, and their lives conformed to God's standard of truth and morality. This created opposition for them and will for us. So as we, as we wrap up and we're going to continue to worship, I, I want to ask you that one question. Are you walking worthy? Are you walking worthy of the name of Christian? When you're brought before Jesus, is he going to say, change your name or change your conduct? 
Or is he going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. I gave you these trials. I gave you these opportunities. And you went through them well. Not perfect. Listen, God doesn't expect us to be perfect. But you walked through them well. What are your next steps? You know, we, we, we started doing this. Um, and you can fill it out on that form because we'd love to, to see what your next steps are. But there's just two that we put down. And you can do it on here. Uh, one is identify an area in your life where you lack boldness because of fear. Are you at school and you're hiding that you are a follower of Jesus because you don't want what to, maybe it's time for you to admit that and go tell some people that you're a believer, you're a follower of Jesus. Maybe it's at work, right? You, you have that cross thing, but you don't wear it when you're there because you don't want people to ask. You don't really, what is it? Is there a place where you lack boldness because of fear? Or here's the second one. Identify an opportunity to stand for Christ with grace and boldness that may receive opposition. Is there somewhere in your life you're like, ooh, I know if I do this, it might bring glory to God and there might be opportunities, but I might get opposition. Maybe God wants you to do that. Mark that one and also share that with another believer who can pray for you, who can support you, who can celebrate when you go do whatever that might be. Or for the rest of us, let's continue to worship this truth that we are saved again by faith alone. It has been granted to us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the, for the test that you give us. Um, we don't have to go through life wondering, am I truly a follower of Jesus or not? We can have confidence. I, when we went through 1 John, that was full of those ideas of confidence. And God, I, I ask, if anyone in here is going through those trials now, that you would give them the boldness to lean on you, that you are worth it, that you would give them the heart of love with you, that there's no way I could reject Christ. There's no way I could let anybody even see me as rejecting Christ. But that in our love for you, we will be bold, but also with grace. We won't see the world as enemies. We won't come at them with anger the way they come at us. But we will come at them with, with love, with grace, with gentleness, but with, with truth and boldness. God, we live in a, a society and a culture right here in northern Nevada. There are a few followers of you. We want to see more. God, we want to be faithful. We want to walk worthy. But we want many others to be saved through what you would do. We just ask that you would do that in this church and in all the other churches in our area that belong to you.